Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 94. Today I'll be talking about the murder of Jarrett Clark, a teenager who disappeared during a camping trip. My sources for today's episode are Murdered by Morning, Season 2, Episode 4, titled Gone Camping, Oxygen.com, KJRH.com, and Fox23.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. A small-town high school graduation sparks a celebration. Graduation weekend, everybody just kind of wanted to have a party, and Jarrett decided to go with Brandon and Courtney to Wahoo Bay. But after a party at the local lake, one teenager does not come home. Something terrible has happened. This case takes place in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, a suburb of Tulsa, which is known to be safe. There is one high school there, so most kids have always grown up together. Jarrett Clark was described as an athletic spider monkey growing up. He had so much energy and played every sport. Jarrett was described as loyal and not liking conflict. His friends said he was extremely popular but could get along with everyone. In May of 2006, Broken Arrow students graduated and were excited about their futures. Jarrett had focused on wrestling in high school and had been planning to go into the military after graduation. On the evening of May 13, 2006, the graduates wanted to get together to have a party before everyone went off to start their lives. Jarrett attended a party at his friend Stephen's house with two students he hadn't been especially close to. Their names were Brandon Hargrove and Courtney Manzer. Jarrett's friend Steve said that Brandon had always been very nice. Brandon's crowd was more free-spirited than Jarrett was used to. Brandon and Courtney were dating, but they had a toxic relationship because Courtney liked to party and flirt. Brandon had begun to ask people if they wanted to go out to the lake, Wahoo Bay. Courtney was flirting with Jarrett, which seemed to piss Brandon off. They somehow convinced Jarrett to go out there with them. At 8.45 p.m., the three left in Brandon's truck. They went to get stuff to go out to Wahoo Bay, and they had been planning to meet up with more people out there. They met up with Anthony Wallen and Brandon's sister, Dana Hargrove, at the store, and they met up with Wayne Humphrey, who was only 15. Around 10.30 p.m., the group arrived at Wahoo Bay. They were drinking and smoking weed and had planned to camp out there until the next morning. The next morning was Mother's Day. Eric Slater, Jarrett's stepdad, was waiting for Jarrett to come home. However, he had a bad feeling because Jarrett knew that they had been planning to go to Jarrett's grandmother's house and he hadn't shown up by 10 a.m. Jarrett's mom, Tammy, also hadn't heard from him, and Jarrett's phone was going straight to voicemail. Tammy left him several messages and began to reach out to his friends. They learned that Jarrett had gone to Wahoo Bay with Brandon and Courtney, which Tammy didn't have a good feeling about because she didn't recognize their names. Jarrett's ex-girlfriend, Lindsay, also told Eric and Tammy that there had been a rumor that Jarrett had gotten into a fight last night. Eric and Tammy immediately went to Wahoo Bay and called out for Jarrett. The sheriff's deputy came out to Wahoo Bay and took a report. To Jarrett's parents, it seemed like the police believed it was a kid who had gotten drunk the night before and was embarrassed to come home. At night, Tammy and Eric went home. And on May 15, 2006, Eric and Tammy went back to Wahoo Bay. The police met with them out there. A park ranger and Eric found one of Jarrett's shoes. I saw it, my heart felt because I knew something bad had happened. Do you want to get hit by a car and knock him out of his shoes? 
The campsite at Wahoo Bay closed and became a crime scene. Several agencies became involved. They were joined by Jarrett's family, friends, and other volunteers to search the area. The police also interviewed the people that Jarrett had been with at the campsite. They said around 11.45 or midnight, Jarrett had gone into the tent with Courtney while Brandon was watching. An argument broke out between Jarrett and Brandon. Brandon wrote in his statement that he pushed Jarrett a couple times. Anthony Wallen also became involved. They said after the fight, Jarrett walked off around 12.30 and was stumbling from being drunk. They said they didn't see him after he walked away. The police also used cell phone records and a cell phone tower data to track Jarrett's phone to a dumpster several miles away from the campsite. Jarrett wasn't with his phone and he still hadn't been found. That all changed on May 19, 2006. Five days after Jarrett was reported missing, his body was found in the lake. It was found just a few yards away from where he had been camping. Jarrett's body had probably sank and floated back up as it had been in the lake for a few days. He was only wearing pants, socks, and one shoe. Jarrett was identified by the tattoo on his shoulder, a lion's head, which he had gotten done about a month before he went missing. Jarrett's body was transported to a medical examiner's office in Tulsa. On Jarrett's body, he had contusions on his legs, and due to the injuries on his face, it was clear he had been roughed up. Jarrett's body was pretty, pretty badly decomposed due to having been in the water. Jarrett's lungs were filled with water, and he had been breathing as he hit it. The witnesses at the campsite had all made statements, but hadn't said anyone was involved. There wasn't much evidence pointing to one person, and charges couldn't be brought. The police continued to act as if Jared had fallen on the lake on his own and drowned in an accident, so the case stalled. By the end of 2007, Jared's family continued to put pressure on the police. And in April 2012, a newly elected sheriff agreed to re-examine Jared's case, which was now cold. Detective Danny Elliott reached out to Eric and Tammy and said they would continue to look into it. A toxicology report had been done and the police learned that, that Jarrett barely had any alcohol in his system at all. He had low levels of Xanax in his system. The friends who had been at the campsite were also re-interviewed. Jarrett's ex, Lindsay, also said that they would smoke weed and take Xanax occasionally, but she never said that it made him angry or anything like that. Lindsay told the police that she texted Jarrett around 11 p.m. on the night of May 13th, she received a phone call, she didn't answer, and then she received a text around 2 a.m. calling her a bitch and that he never wanted to see her again. Lindsay never believed those messages had come from Jarrett. In May 2012, Courtney Manzer was interviewed. Guys are partying, taking pills, drinking, and everything of that nature. At some point, you guys decided to go to sleep, is that right? Yes. Okay. And you crawled in one of the tents? Did yes. you? Was anybody else in the tent when you got in the tent? Yeah. What happened at that point? Uh, Jared ended up crawling in the tent and he said something before like he was going to kiss me and Brandon called Jared's name, I believe, and asked him to get out of the tent. Courtney went on to say that she was under the influence at the time and couldn't remember anything. She said she was she said she heard some shouting but couldn't see the fight. Detective Elliot knew she was lying. Courtney said Jarrett walked away but everyone else stayed behind. Brandon's sister Dana 
told the police that she took her car to attempt to look for Jarrett after he wandered away. Brandon got started arguing, I'm pretty sure, over Courtney. And then Tony got involved because Jarrett was arguing with Brandon. Jarrett ended up leaving here? Well, he was like leaving and then stopping or something like that. And Chase got started. The stories began to change several times. Dana said she doesn't know why Tony or Wayne got involved in the fight, only that they chased Jarrett. Tony said he jumped into the fight because he thought Jarrett had stolen his weed. Wayne was interviewed next. By 2012, he had turned 21 and was serving time for fraud and embezzlement. Detective Elliot got Wayne out of jail and took him to Wahoo Bay to walk him through the story. Wayne admitted that there was a physical altercation. Wayne said Jarrett was actually overpowering Tony at one point. But Wayne said he wanted to be involved, so he hit Jarrett and was asked by Tony to hold Jarrett down. Wayne said Jarrett was kicked in the head by him. Wayne said he was holding on to Jarrett and felt the hit as Tony hit Jarrett in the face. Wayne said Jarrett jumped up and ran off. Detective Elliot continued to dig for more information. On a website called Justice, Justice for Jarrett, he found some. Someone had mentioned that they had been at the campsite with their husband in 2006 she was willing to talk about what she witnessed. She said she heard a bunch of yelling and arguing and then saw a truck directly across from her tent. It caused her to get out of the tent to take a look. The truck was backing up down the water, down the boat ramp. She heard a thud and a big splash. Detective Elliot re-examined the evidence bags from the case. He had realized that if the stories of Jarrett running away and into the lake was true, his socks and feet would have been pretty messed up. Jarrett had found... Jared had been found wearing his socks and only one shoe. The bottom of the sock was pristine, but the top was not. It had vegetation on it and had been tattered. The toe of the shoe was also very scuffed up. His pants had rips in them and vegetation coming out of those rips. None of the physical evidence had ever been examined during the first investigation. A botanical expert was brought in to look at the seeds and thorns found on Jared's clothes. The seeds and thorns hadn't come from the water but Jared had been dragged at some point, probably while he was unconscious from the altercation. A crime scene, investigator, a crime scene investigator did an experiment and dragged a volunteer about the same size and wearing the same clothes as Jared had on. They were able to recreate the physical evidence found on his clothes and sock. An individual who had gone to school with Courtney had asked Courtney at one point if she had killed Jared, and Courtney nodded and said yes. Courtney Manzer was charged with first-degree murder, and Dana Hargrove was charged with conspiracy. It was believed that Brandon and Tony had been the ones who had beaten Jarrett and dumped him in the water. Brandon wasn't charged because he died in 2008. Ironically, Brandon had rolled his car over a bridge and drowned in nine inches of water. In 2014, Tony was charged with murder, and Dana and Courtney agreed to testify. The trial was set to begin in June 2016, it's believed that Brandon's anger towards Jarrett began when Courtney started flirting with him at the party. Tony and Brandon fought Jarrett, which rendered him unconscious. They dragged him through the woods and dumped Jarrett into the water where he was later found. The police believed Dana was in her car to act as a lookout, not to actually look for Jarrett like she claimed. Courtney claimed not to have remembered anything. It's believed Brandon had sent Lindsay text messages from Jarrett's phone. He then dumped the phone. Instead of going to trial, a plea agreement was in the works. Jarrett's family stood behind it as they wanted them to be charged with a felony and at least pay some price. 
Tony Wallen pled guilty to second-degree murder. He was sentenced to eight years in prison and 12 years of parole. He has since been released. Dana pled guilty to obstruction and was given two years of probation. Courtney pled guilty to conspiracy to be an accessory after the fact and was sentenced to two years in prison. We wanted that slice of justice for Jared. Granted, they didn't get enough time, in my opinion. But I hope he had some miserable, miserable moments during his time in there. I agree with Tammy and Eric. The sentences were too short, but this case had so many inconsistent statements that it probably would have just taken one juror to change the outcome. At least they have those felonies on their records, and I hope they truly feel bad for what they did, but I doubt it. Jarrett had a long life ahead of him, but it was cut short all because of some jealous asshole. Support for the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. The performance package 4.0 has arrived and oh man, it's a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their lawn mower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your goodies. First off, the lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight you need more if you need more of a precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? Their Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker Nose and air, Ear Hair Trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which also helps reduce the nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort in boxers to another level. My husband loves the boxers, and I have ended up stealing the travel bag to use for extra storage. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CRIMEOCLOCK. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped. My book recommendation for this week is The Concierge by Miranda Ricks. They hired an assistant to help them, but she has other plans. High-flying duo Goldie and Braun DeLucci run a major film production company, but recently their gilded lives were touched by tragedy when one of their leading actors, Allie, died in a car crash. What the DeLucci's don't realize is that their newly hired private assistant is actually Allie's sister, Simone. Simone is convinced Allie's death was suspicious, and she is determined to find out what happened on that terrible night. Simone's new job puts her at the heart of the rich, dysfunctional family. 
As she digs for the truth about Allie's death, she realizes someone is watching her and they want her gone. That just makes Simone more determined to discover whatever terrible secret the Deluchis are hiding. But she doesn't understand she is about to uncover something so dark, so shocking, that her own life may be, never be the same. As someone who works in a hotel and is considered to be a front desk agent and con concierge, I decided to read this book. I definitely like the plot. A woman has ulterior motives to work for a major film production company. But is she really ready to find the truth about her sister's death? She also learns more about the Deluchis and their own past with their troubled daughter. The book is also told in the perspectives of different characters, which I love. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'd love to know what you think. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram and Twitter, email me at itscrimeoclocksomewhere at gmail.com, buy me a coffee, and leave me a 5-star rating and review. Thank you again to Manscaped for sponsoring this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.